media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We've been in the Psalms and I told one of our elders last week, I said, you know, I feel like I'm preaching the same sermon week after week after week. And um, I don't mean to, I'm just preaching the text. And yet the gospel comes out in the Psalms and the Psalms focus on God. In fact, every one of the Psalms focuses on just the steadfastness of God in some aspect. There's only one, uh, let's see, Psalm 88 is the only Psalm out of the all 150 Psalms that doesn't end in praise and the hope of God. Every one of them, this is the reflection of that Psalm. They all take on different circumstances, they're written by different uh, writers and authors, and yet they all have this consistency of who God is and all of his steadfastness and all of his holiness and all that he is. And it reflects on that because this was their hymnal. This is what they would sing. This is what they would pronounce in their hearts and their lives. And so uh, I, I did find a couple of interesting facts about the Psalms as we're going through those. Uh, did you know that Jesus quoted Psalms more than any other book of the Bible? Uh, somewhat argued Deuteronomy, uh, he, he does that. One is, uh, one more, I, I believe Psalms is quoted one more time than, um, Deuteronomy, but it's, it was what he started his ministry with. He quotes the Psalms. And so in Jesus' life, we see that this was a very, very important book that he would draw upon. Uh, anybody know the shortest Psalm? If you want to memorize the Psalm, go to Psalm 117, two verses. Okay, just really easy. If you want to challenge, Go to the longest psalm. Anybody know what that one is? 119, 176 verses. So it's a little bit more challenging. Anybody know the oldest psalm? One? (laughs) Just because of order? Oldest psalm, Psalm 90, what we're going to be looking at today. Now, how do we know that it's the oldest? Did they date them? You know, it's like today when you, if you open up a hymnal, I know that's a foreign concept to a lot of people, but if you opened up a hymnal, you would be able to see the author, you would see the composer, you would see that, and you would see the date that it was written. And you'd find some psalms from the 1700s, uh, a lot of them from the 1900s, so you'd see some that were from the 2000s. Well, how do we know that Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm? Because of who the author is. It's the only psalm that we know for sure was written by Moses. Now, I know that most of the time when we get to the Psalms, we think David, Solomon, this Asaph guy, some other guys, you know, that are, are contributing. But Moses, we know, wrote uh, Psalm 90. We suspect that he probably wrote a couple more, but we know for sure that he wrote Psalm 90. Let me give you a little bit of the context of more than likely what most scholars would say he was writing about. Remember when the Israelites, the chosen people of God, had this promise of a promised land. And so it was kind of surprising to them that being God's chosen people, that they would be taken into captivity for generations and generations, about 400 years, that they would be in captivity in Egypt. Remember Pharaoh, all the different, you know, just all those different things that go in there. And then Moses comes along and God's chosen he has kind of a miraculous birth and survival there because he should have been killed. And, and yet God has a plan for his life. He's uh, raised in uh, the Pharaoh's home. He got, has great wisdom. And, and all the time God has a purpose for Moses' life. And finally God calls Moses to call the Israelites out of Egypt. 
and out of that captivity into a place of deliverance. And they go and, and they're ready to actually go into this promised land that God has already assured them is theirs. And yet they send out spies. They said, let's just be careful. Isn't that kind of like us? Where God would call you to do something and then we would send out our own spies. Well, let's just make sure that God has the inside story. Have you ever done that in your own life? Where God has promised something. I mean, we just sing some songs today about our identity in God and what he has done. Those are not identities about us because we're good people. No, that's who we are in Christ Jesus. This morning, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus' ability to, to forgive your sins, to make you right with the Holy God, then those are true. I don't always feel like those things. I mean, we were talking yesterday about righteousness. Are there days that you feel righteous? You know, maybe a little bit if you did one right thing. But what about the other 23 hours and 58 minutes? You know, we don't always feel righteous. And yet the word would say that if we're in Christ Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven and his rightness, his righteousness has been imputed to us. So this is a biblical truth. God gave Moses and the Israelites biblical truth, and yet they wanted to be a little bit careful, just like we like to be a little bit careful. It's not that God's not trustworthy. It's just that we're kind of suspect. And so they sent out 12 spies. You remember what happened? They came back. Only two said, hey, God promised it. Let's go. This is God's deliverance. In other words, said, no. There were some really bad people there. They were big, they looked mean, and they looked like they were ready for war. And so they decided not to go in. And from that point on, they had to begin to wander. Do you remember how long they wandered? For 40 years. Can you imagine? And we talked a couple weeks ago about how hard it is to wait and how God's people have always been awaiting people. And a lot of times that's intentional. God wants us to be waiting because he's doing something and he's developing and maturing us. This is a cause of their own unfaithfulness that they have to wander for 40 years. And we don't know exactly if they like pass the same thing. It's not like, okay, two years later going, haven't we seen that mountain before? I mean, I don't know how aware they are that they're kind of going in this kind of wandering, but they're not getting to the promised land. For 40 years this is going on, and Moses, as the leader, has a lot of frustration. He has a lot of heartbreak because he knows, okay, number one, that they really do deserve that because they didn't believe. But they also begin to, he, he begins to see people dying. Everybody over the age 20 that, that came out of Egypt eventually died and did not enter the promised land. Moses does not get to enter the promised land. And so even though people are being birthed and there's going to be this new generation of Israelites that are going to go in, there's a lot of people that are passing it. And Moses sees this. Can you imagine as a leader, as you see, maybe perhaps people come to you every day and give you a list of other names of people who had passed during the night? Forty years of wandering. When it seems like everything is falling apart and not coming together. At that point... What does Moses write about? In the midst of all that failure and frustration, Moses writes about God. And the main thrust of his writing are these two things. God's eternal sovereignty and his holiness. Look at verse 1 and 2. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place 
in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Well, what he's talking about there? What is, what is he mentioning? Okay, God, this is who you are. He says, you are our dwelling place. Well, what's the benefit of thinking of God's sovereignty in a time of wandering? Well, what's the purpose? What would benefit us to have an anchor in a time of drifting? It seems like you're just being cast with the wind, whatever way the wind blows. That's the way your boat and your life goes. How important it is to have an anchor that would hold you in times like this. And they're wandering. And yet in the midst of that, what does he say? Lord, you have been our, what? Dwelling place. Now, why is that? Do you see a pun in there? Do you see anything important about you're our dwelling place? Why would he say, God, you're just holy? Why doesn't he just say, okay, God, you're, you're steadfast in your love? Why does he say you have been our dwelling place in all generations? Do you see the irony of that? Somebody. They don't have, they're wondering. They don't have a place to call home. They're not putting their head on the pillow at night going, yeah, lived here 30 years, probably going to die right here. This is home. God, you are a dwelling place. We're just kind of going in a big circle, it seems like here. Well, we don't know. This is a man who's been a nomad for 40 years, who has had no home for 40 years. A man who has continually asked a thousand times, is asked a thousand times a day from all the rest of the Israelites, are we there yet? I mean, can you imagine being the leader and people coming up, Moses, Moses, are we there yet? And so how beautiful it is that he says, okay, God, when I look at you and I see who you are, I haven't had a home for 40 years. We've been wandering for 40 years, feels like we're just going in one big circle. You are our dwelling place. And you have been for all generations. Remember when we talked uh, in the past about how hard it is to keep an eternal perspective? How the whole Bible wants us to think of, about everything in life on the basis of eternity from, from here to here. And, and yet we are prone in our humanity to think about today or yesterday or tomorrow. And so as much as God wants us to always think in a very eternal perspective, we're always kind of forcing that back in our humanity about, yeah, I know you promised I'm going to go to heaven one day, but God, what about next week? What's happening next week? And a lot of our focus is on what's happening here and now. How do we keep an eternal focus when we are so kind of tied to the things of this world? Well, look what Moses does first. Moses doesn't say, just say that God is powerful and holy and merciful. He says that he's their dwelling place. I'm always amazed at the stories of people. Uh, You meet some people. Have have you ever met somebody who hasn't traveled more than 200 miles from their home? Like they were born there and they're going, yeah, I've never been more than 200 miles. One time we went to Kentucky. Man, I was ready to get back home. You know, and that was like their excursion into foreign lands. If you've been to Kentucky, it may... No, uh, I'm kidding. I think that's Tennessee. Um, but other people, they've traveled the whole world. I mean, they've been all over the place. And, 
And yes, they have this home, and yet they've been all over the place. Some have a definite place that they call home. Have you ever met somebody who's moved like 15, 20 times? If you grew up in a military home, you know, a lot of times it's like, okay, that's home for nine months. And then you go to the next place. I knew one, a guy one time that in his 12 years of school from first grade, 12th grade, had been in 16 different schools. Can you imagine that? And yet many of you say, okay, man, hey, Jefferson for the most part wasn't born here, but this is our home. We, we plan pretty much that it's always going to be our home. Some of you were born here, bred here, you went to school here, now your kids are going to school here. Different versions of what is home. And for the most part, when we really understand this, I'm going kind of on a long description because I want you to understand the context that he writes this in, that they haven't had a home, and he starts off by saying, okay, God, you are our dwelling place. He doesn't just say, God, you're our Lord, you're our sovereign, you know, creator. Lord, you're our dwelling place. And that takes a real eternal perspective when you've been wandering for 40 years. When you haven't had a place to call home for 40 years, that takes a really big perspective, an eternal perspective. This thought of God's eternal nature continues in the next verses. Look at verses 3 and 4. When Moses begins to say, okay, God, you're eternal in nature, and yet man... Man, we're very limited in our nature. Look what he says in verse 3 or 4. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now, what, what does he mean that? Okay, that we're going to return to dust. It's a reference to creation. Remember when God created Adam, took dust and breathed life into it and formed Adam? And the Bible consistently tells us that we came from dust, and, and where are we going to eventually go? Dust. Okay. Not not a real encouraging thought. You know, not a good Christmas card. <laughs> you were born from dust, <laughs> and you're going to dust. <laughs> you know, Merry Christmas. It's just not a really happy thing. And yet, this is what the Bible consistently says. And Moses brings it up. Why does he bring it up? Okay, God, you are eternal in nature. I mean, I, I'm just here. And one of the biggest references that we have continually throughout the Bible of what mankind is, is that we're but grass. We're here, kind of shine for a moment, have life for the moment, get mowed. And what happens to mowed grass, especially here in this heat lately? Dries up and blows away. Now, he's not trying to be discouraging. He's trying to keep things in perspective. He even puts a number on it later in verse 10. Look down at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. In other words, if you're really healthy, you might live 80 years. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Encouraged by that? If you're in your 70 years and your 80s today, probably not. <laughs> if you're past 80, you're defying the odds. Okay. Now, again, he's... I'm not trying to be silly with this. He's just saying, look, God, you are eternal. And and that's how you want us to think in in terms of eternity. And and yet because we are so confined, and at most maybe we get 70 or 80 years, 
we're kind of microwaving this whole thing. But we kind of get it down every day. Does every day seem like something is slipping away? And the older you get, it's things like your health, your memory, your hair, all kinds of things just slipping away. Moses, I do not believe, is being super negative here and and that everybody walks away sad. Moses wants us to remember this thing that really is a truth of all people. We all, save Christ's return first, will die. It's not something that you just go, man, what are you going to preach about this week, Bobby? Death. Just really want to encourage CS, you know, all those people out there. One of the things that helps us keep an eternal perspective, as we see in this psalm, is that Moses points to God's eternal nature. He, he says, from everlasting to everlasting. And then he contrasts that with, okay, but we're here like kind of grass. We're here and we have life. And even if we have 70 or 80 years, then, then soon we'll, we'll fly away. We're kind of here and we're gone. Then he reminds us that for God, a thousand years is like a day to God. And then he even shortens that. He says, no, like a watch at night. Uh, and they were on watches, and it could be six hours or eight hours. He says, you know, a thousand years is not even like 24 hours. It's more like six hours. He's doing it for illustrative purposes to get us into this eternal perspective. How much eternal perspective do you think the nation of Israel had when they were wandering for 40 years? Are they thinking, you know, this is just a drop in the bucket? Or do you think that they, you know, had one guy with a tablet that every day he's just putting another day, another day, another day? Do you know now it's been 37 years, 14 days? What would your mindset be? Well, let me ask you this, even more important. What is your mindset? When God has asked us to have this eternal perspective that a thousand years is like a day to him. No, even like a night watch. Yet in the urgency of our lives, I mean, I totally get it. In the urgency of our lives, God, I've only got 70, 80, maybe 90 years. And so God, move this along. Correct this, fix this, work this. And one of the things that we said a couple weeks ago when we when the psalm talked about waiting, how we despise waiting. You know, one of the things that's even harder than waiting, I think, maybe for me personally, wandering. I mean, waiting, at least I'm in line, and every once in a while, somebody goes, and you move up one. You wait a little bit more, and you move up one. And even though it's been like, man, it's been three hours, but we are five people closer. And so at least there seems to be a little bit of movement. What about when you're wandering? And you don't know, am I closer or am I farther back? And that's what they've been doing. And in the midst of all this wandering, what does Moses write about? He said, God, you're sovereign. That is that he's purposeful and he's powerful. God, you are eternal. Again, he describes it as everlasting to everlasting. And Moses concludes that God is working on an eternal plan. For people who live in a very immediate society, this is probably not good news. Again, we want things done in a timely manner. 
But for the people of faith in God's sovereignty and the eternal nature of God, it gives us hope that God is working, not just in our waiting, as we saw a couple weeks ago, but even in our times of wandering. You see, Moses is not blaming God for the frustrations. He's not saying, he's not lifting his fist to heaven and saying, God, what have you done? If you read the psalm, he begins to really reflect back on the thing that we talk a lot about. And that's one of the things I talked with the elder about last week. I said, man, it seems like I'm always talking about, you know, the holiness of God, the, all these good things about God and man's sinfulness and our fallenness. And it seems like every story comes around that. And guys, that's the truth. I'm not preaching it just because, you know, I just really want to remind us that we really are these wretches that we just sang about. When we see the holiness of God, it does remind us of our fallenness. And one of the things that we have to battle with in our own life is that we don't always see ourselves as really fallen. Because we do this thing, and we've talked about it before. I hate to be repetitive, but I just want to remind you that we will find somebody more evil than we. And somehow we'll have a little bit of solace that, you know, I'm not the best person in the world, but I am certainly not the worst. And we find comfort there, but there is no comfort in that with the holy God. One sin, one sin, would estrange us from a holy God. And so Moses begins to talk about that. Look what he says in verse 11 and 12. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according for, to the fear of you? He says, when I, when I begin to think about my sinfulness, God, when I think about the things I've done, you know, wandering for 40 years is really not the worst punishment that you could have given us. But what is this point? Look at verse 12. To, to me, verse 12 is kind of the, the meat of this psalm, at least in application. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God, teach us to number our days. Do you think that we have as humans this um, mindset that ponders the number of days that we have? Or do you think that there's something that kind of tries to fool us deep down inside? How many are 60 plus? 60 plus. And inside your mind, inside your mind, do you still kind of feel like 22, 23? (laughs) <laughs> I see one yes, and I see one definite no. <laughs> depends, depends on what time of the morning. In your mind, not in your joints, not in your back and everything else, okay? But there's this thing going on that kind of fools us. Now, how many people are in their 30s? Okay, in your 30s. And you're starting to catch up now on going, you know, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Has that hit you yet? Yeah. And it's kind of an amazing thing. And so here, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom because this is not our natural thought. Our natural thought is that we're much younger than we actually are. So I said, okay, God, give us what? Another way of saying this? Give us an eternal perspective. Help us to realize that we are in many ways like grass, that we're here today and, and, and gone tomorrow. Not trying to be negative, but trying to... What does he associate it with? Negativism and, and, and discouragement? No. Teach us the number of days that we might get a heart... <laughs> a heart of 
wisdom. How can keeping an eternal perspective, how knowing that we're not going to live forever, how knowing that every day is a gracious gift of God, how does that give us wisdom? Let me give you three things. The wisdom comes from knowing the beauty of each day. You talk to somebody who's had a health scare, and doctors say you got ninety days to live, you got three months to live, you have, you know, you have three years to live. Those twenty-four hours are more precious, I promise you, than the twenty-four hours before that diagnosis. Because now, what are they doing? They're counting their days. They're numbering their days. It brings a blessing to each day. It brings the beauty of each day. Can you imagine if you knew that your days were getting short and you saw a beautiful sunrise over the ocean? I mean, just a beautiful sunrise, our sunset, and that you just cherish it. You see the beauty in that much more than you would maybe when everything else is going on in life. That you would be able to say, time out, time out. There's a lot of things begging for my attention right now, but I'm not going to miss this five minutes of this beautiful sunset. We begin to see God's blessings. We begin to see His beauty. But we also see this, guys. We see the brevity of life. When we begin to number our days, when we begin to understand all these things that Moses is talking about, we get this eternal perspective, and we see things, the blessings of God. We see the beauty of each day, but we always see, man, we're just here for a short while. And for some people, that that's really a discouragement. Sometimes that's a, that's a real heavy. And yet we are to live in the light of that, even down to the practical things. I sat down with Carly uh, probably, what, two, three weeks ago and went over all of our finances and gave her a chart, everything. You know, here's all the accounts. Here's all the, here's the passwords and all this. And she didn't say anything at that moment, that time, but the next day, are you feeling okay? <laughs> I mean, she really did. <laughs> you know, is there anything I should know? <laughs> we don't like to talk about these things. And yet, why would he equate knowing the brevity of life to wisdom? Not fear. You go to the New Testament, he says, oh, death, where's your sting? Well, if you just lost a loved one, you're going, it's right here in my heart. No, he says, where's your sting? Why? Because he's looking from an eternal perspective and he's given the hope of that Christ gives us at that point. The more that we understand the brevity of life, the more that we cherish and we begin to see the blessings and the beauty of those things. I mean, can you imagine how in one way Moses and the Israelites must have felt 40 years of wandering, that that was a wasted time? Again, I hate waiting, but I hate wandering worse than that. At least waiting, there's a slow movement up to the front of the line. But wandering, again, you don't know if you're getting farther behind. And the truth is, it could have been a waste had they not gained from the experience. How can you gain wisdom in a time of wandering? What Moses did. God, you're sovereign. That is, you are powerful and you're purposeful. 
You are eternal. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And you are holy. And then he adds one more as we get into the later part of that chapter. You are loving. In the closing verses of the psalm, Moses prays for God to show his mercy and his steadfast love to the people. Look at verse 13 and 14. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Do you see the turn of what what happens in verse 14? I mean, Moses is frustrated. He's wandering. Do you think God gave him, okay, you're 40 days and they had a calendar and they could cross him off? That's more waiting instead of wondering, because at least after 24 hours, you're one day closer. You're one day closer. He's wandering. He doesn't know when the end's going to come. And in that wandering, he goes to one place that is an anchor for his soul, one place that is a source of his hope, and that is who God is. And he gets out of this perspective of one year, five years, 25 years, 40 years, and he gains an eternal perspective that God is always working Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. And then he ends the psalm with this. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work in our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, now what is he saying there? Establish the work of our hands. God, make my life matter. Whether you are in your 20s, you're in your teens, whether you're in your 60s, 70s, or 80s, is that something that's already important to you, that already you have somewhat of a mindset of, no matter where you are in the spectrum of age, that whether you're in your teens, I I think when we're young, we kind of have, okay, we want to do something, we want our life to matter. But I don't know that we have, you know, a super mature informed version of that. But I guarantee you, as we hit our 60s and 70s and 80s, one of the thoughts that comes to our minds, guys, is that we want our life to matter. We want our life to matter. And that's what he prays for here. He said, let the favor of our Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, make my life matter. And how do you think, guys, how do you think you're going to have a better perspective of a life that matters when you're thinking about day to day or when you have an eternal perspective? See, it's only as we get to that eternal perspective that we just don't look at the times of waiting and the times of wandering that we see a holy God who does have purpose for our lives. And that's where we make our plate of, God, will you make my life count? I mean, that's how I interpret that last verse. I think I'm pretty accurate to the intention of Moses there. Would that be your heartbeat this morning? That whether you are very, very young, or in comparison to others, you would consider yourself older, or somewhere in between. That, that at the end of the day, is that kind of what you want? Is your life to matter? And matter in what perspective? 
the perspective that he puts this in, that he kind of wraps this whole thing. God, since you are a God from everlasting to everlasting, you are eternal God, you are sovereign, you are all these things. God, I want my life to matter in this big picture. Not just I won this award or I did this or I got a raise or others. Those things are important. It's not that anything like that would be bad if it's just of a, a, a timely manner, you know, of a day or two. But I believe that what Moses is writing here, not knowing when the wandering is going to end. I, I don't know that Moses knows at this point that he's not going to see the promised land. I mean, scholars would say that, yes, Moses knew that he would never enter that. Others would say, no, he maybe came to that conclusion late, 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 late in life. But I don't know when he's writing this in the midst of these 40 years of wandering. And so I don't know if he's expecting to see the promised land or if he's not. He just knows one thing. God, in all this wandering, it is not wasted time if I keep my eyes on you because you're not a God who wastes people. You're not a God who wastes time. He's not blaming God because he's realizing that this wandering is a result of his own rebellion and his own sinfulness, that that is the Israelites and people. So instead of blaming God for his situation, he understands it and he pleads to God and he comes back and said, God, what I'm counting on is your steadfast love, your sovereignty, your holding all things together. And this would be our peace this morning, especially if you find yourself in a time of wandering. Not just waiting. But if you feel like right now you're just in a time of wandering, put your hope in holy God. Look at his steadfastness, his mercy, his grace, his sovereignty. And all of a sudden, there's a trust that people without a home can say, God, you are our habitation. You are our dwelling place. Does that make sense? You see the application of that? I mean, we could get hidden in all the beauty of the words. We could get hidden in all the, the theology. But when you boil it down, does that make sense? That in many ways in our lives, we're kind of homeless. You know, I'm like, I got home right now. In many ways. Go with me with the metaphor, okay? <laughs> in many ways, maybe job-wise, family-wise, Financially, in all the different things of aspects of life, maybe you feel, okay, I'm not settled here. Find your habitation. Find God as your dwelling place. And all of a sudden you'll see that he begins to give you an eternal perspective. And like Moses, we'll be able to go, hey, God, will you show favor? Will you make my life count? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, to even be able to pray that our life would count for something is a tremendous exercise of your grace, Father. That our lives would count for something is a tremendous example, Father, of your steadfast love, of your sovereignty, your purposefulness, and your powerfulness. And your grace upon us that you would allow our lives to count in an eternal perspective. So, Father, we're not saying this so that we can put emphasis on us, Father. We're just saying that as people that struggle with wandering and times of wandering in our lives, not just even waiting, we don't know if we're going backwards, forwards, or what, that you don't waste it. 
and that our plea to you to make our lives count does not fall upon deaf ears. So, Father, today, help us put our trust in your sovereignty and your goodness and that you are a God from everlasting to everlasting. We love you, Father. And thank you for the blessing that you have loved us. And you have loved us so well through Christ. We thank you and we praise you as we pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.